Bruce is laying it down. The intro song's rolling. Everything's gonna be okay, Raph. Let's just stay positive. We'll be fine. Probably. Raph, maybe you can explain to me why there are a lot of people laughing at a picture of me tapping to an illegal move, which is apparently it means it's time for verbal tap. What the hell happened last night, Raph Esparza? Okay, let's start by saying it's not an illegal move. You crossed my knees over one another. I believe it's called like some sort of figure four. Am I... Hitting that right, the move name? No. It's okay. actually called a sharpshooter. Thank but you. But no, I'm actually implementing, uh, as you can see where I'm holding the move. Highly illegal. It's actually more of a... No, not illegal, because I'm using it as a leg lock. Like, I'm actually getting... The tap is coming more from where the uh, ankle is, and that's what it's eliciting it. Yeah, that's why in so many high-level jiu-jitsu matches, you hear... That person submitted via sharpshooter. No, well, something was Kevin, going on. I will. I'll, I'll, I'll get to that. I just want you to know, Kevin. It's okay to be beaten by an inferior. Thank you, Raf. Person, if that was the case, but that's not the case here. I, um, you were beaten by a better person with a better finishing move. So, I mean, these are things, Kevin, and, and the people they love it. Do they not? Yeah, they really do. And I would just like yeah. to appreciate them for their support. And I like the idea that you see the pain in your face. That's the best part of that photo. It was an illegal move, Raph. Illegal moves usually elicit a little bit of pain. It's not. It's not an illegal move. And I'm sorry that you had to go out in such a, a sad and really, like, how do you say, embarrassing fashion? <laughs> At least the rash guard looks good. So the rash guard malware. <laughs> <laughs> it was that was the one thing my girlfriend said. She goes, "Hey, the rash guard looks cool." It's like, "Thanks, honey." Oh, you mean your girlfriend Thank didn't you laugh much. at you? Well, after she got done laughing, she goes, "No," like when she was into the consoling stage. Oh, ugh. yeah, and I love it when we get there. WrestleMania, the Overtaker did something wonderful to the new Captain Planet movie? Okay. Here's the thing. Kevin knows nothing about <laughs> pro wrestling, and that's why he says dumb things, like a sharpshooter is an illegal hold in jiu-jitsu, which as we all clearly know, <laughs> as civilized human beings, it's not. Yeah. So, when Kevin does dumb things on the show, every once in a while, I'll throw in a pro wrestling reference, and he'll never understand them. Like, he has no clue how many of them I drop into the podcast. I really and don't. it's like a fun game. For you. For me, oh, it's, it's just And the feedback life. I get from people is when people say, did he really not know that that was that? And I said, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't know a lot of things. But he, it's not an act. He really doesn't know what I'm talking about with this pro wrestling thing. So yesterday was in a special uh, event. It was WrestleMania 30. And I was trying to educate Kevin about the fact that The Undertaker, who up until yesterday, had a streak of 21-0, and 0, which means every year at this event, he has won. And... To really hammer the point home for those of you who don't care or just don't understand this, imagine every year being told this guy is going to win and falling for it every time. 
And in a predetermined sporting event, if he doesn't win, you would be outraged. Yeah. Okay. Agreed. That would really get my goat. Now, do you know who beat him, Kevin? I do know who beat him. Who was it? Brock Lesnar, former UFC fighter. Okay. Is that significant to the MMA world, Kevin? Absolutely. Uh, it was. What if I were to tell you they were using Gogo Platas and Kimuras against each other? What? Really? Like, <laughs> yes. Uh, oh, God. I guess I'd feel exactly like I did after having watched the movie The Last Stand. Not great. Ugh. All right, I'm going to come back to this later. So I thought a fun thing to do would be to show Kevin the match, like the last three minutes, because that's all you need. Yeah, you uh, really piqued my to, interest with some things today. To give him the backstory, which started with MMA Roots, which is right <laughs> after Cain uh, Velasquez beat Brock Lesnar about four years ago. Ariel this Hawani, is interesting. Yes, Ariel Hawani was talking with The Undertaker, and... Brock Lesnar walks by him, and Undertaker, after Brock loses, just goes, hey, you want to do it? You want to do it? <laughs> and no one, including Hawani, had any idea what any of that meant. Now, Some where say, did – I have two questions because I have a lot of questions about this. The first is where did you find that – have you known about that video for a while? Did it just absolutely. surface? Okay, so I you've been – I was there at fight. Okay, and is that normal at all? Um, it's normal for Errol Hawani to grab anybody he can and talk to them. Okay, uh, that is normal. That was my first question. I was shocked. It was, he interviewed The Undertaker. I didn't get it, but go ahead. The Undertaker has a huge following. You're going to get people to look at it no matter what. Sure. The weird part is why The Undertaker felt the need to talk to Brock Lesnar right then and there, and the indecipherable you want to do it, it's <laughs> confusing. That's the part I'm asking about. Is that part – does that ever happen? Like that seems so foreign to me. uh, I don't know. I've never lived that life. I've never lived as The Undertaker, (laughs) so I really can't tell you what's real and what's fake. If it's habitual or if it's like a thing he does. Like he also said it to Jordan once as he was leaving a series. He was like, hey, you want to do this? Well, he also gets up out of a coffin every morning and is like, I don't have to do this every day. You (laughs) – you so, would watch the shit out of that show if it was I just would, different absolutely. sporting events The Undertaker challenged people after. <laughs> that would be... But here's the thing, and this is what I'm most excited about. I gave a three-minute clip of the match, the last three minutes, to Kevin, and I want to hear Kevin's interpretation of what he saw. So you prefaced it well because Raph knows me, so he like sends me a three-minute video being like, hey, make sure you watch every second. Uh, Raph doesn't go to the toolbox with that. Oh, I don't know why I'm using that metaphor. Raph doesn't like take the time to explain that unless he means it. So I was like, okay, well, I'm watching. And I'm watching a super boring... What I, I've seen the same fucking wrestling match I've been watching for 30 years when someone's like, check out a wrestling match. And then he lost. The Undertaker, excuse me, loses to Brock Lesnar via, I don't know. It's who can called keep an track F5, of their, Kevin. It's whatever. <laughs> so whatever. And yeah. just to give you the background, the Undertaker Tombstone, which is his finisher, uh-huh. uh, Brock Lesnar, and Brock Lesnar kicked out, and then all of a sudden, the third F5 <laughs> was the one that did in The Undertaker. So, Kevin, continue. And then 
I'm so glad you told me about the Undertaker's streak beforehand because I would have been losing faith in America with what happened next. Like, they Why? did nothing. They did a minute and a half of panning out to the audience, and they were doing that like close up. People were physically upset about what happened. Like, people were reacting in a way that you would expect to see them reacting tonight at, like, the end of March Madness. Like, people were crying. People were feeling physical things. <laughs> of course, there was the famous, the kid with the meme and the just say yes shirt or whatever. It's um, a nice black dude who's just staring out into the <laughs> abyss with confusion like, on his face. Like, he just watched the Titanic go down again. <laughs> Like, he just Kevin, watched it. Thing, and I don't know that you get this, but it's 21 years of fucking with people. And then <laughs> just to go, you know what? Let's just finish it this year. Fuck it. Screw Let it. Lose. Uh, no, that's, I guess that's my take. So I found it. I, it was fun to get it. On the, I have people that's, so you're saying people felt after 21 years, people felt a genuine tie to this. Yes, okay. it is. And I will tell you this as somebody who reads a lot of articles and, you know, I separate my like fun tabloid nonsense from like the hard hitting journalism. A lot of really respected publications referred to the Undertaker streak as one of the best streaks in sports history, not sports entertainment, sports. So to see that happen and to see those reactions, it was a a little sad. Because, you know, you do understand all of these people at this point have realized my childhood is dead. But yeah, it's even that's worse what they realize. <laughs> when, it's, when it's also put on tape. Because I feel bad for this guy that he paid and others like him who were put on camera with their reactions. Like thousands of dollars to be at this WrestleMania. And he didn't ask to become a meme, but that's what's going to follow him for the rest of his life now. I just assumed you were asking. If you were at the WrestleMania and you felt like the need to have a standing emotional reaction, you're asking to become a meme. Kevin, I hope that you heed those words because I feel one day it will come back to haunt you. (laughs) Like... Fucking everything else I say, I'm sure it will, if you haven't been following the over-under streak. Um, did you enjoy the event? I don't know what to fucking ask you. Was it fun? I don't know. <laughs> did you like it? <laughs> yes. It's actually, you great. know, the thing is, it's a great event. It, if you don't understand that the UFC is taking from that business model and production value, you're behind. And from a different standpoint, this is the first year that they've had the WWE Network so that you could buy WrestleMania for 10 bucks as long as you're willing to buy six months' worth of UFC or uh, WWE programming. And the UFC still doesn't offer pay-per-views, so think about it. The UFC needs to get on that train, and we'll see what happens. I do appreciate that they are a very successful business model, and I, I guess here's the way I sort of look at it. I try not to judge people as much as... I mean, I judge people all the time, normally. I'm just saying I don't try to judge them more for enjoying WrestleMania, because it's kind of like enjoying comic books. It's like similar in that. That's sort of vain, except a little bit more live action and a lot more self-tanner. Any final notes as I get that haymaker in? Uh, you can try, Kevin, except I feel <laughs> that a great deal of our listenership would probably agree with me or at least be really sad that they'd have to agree with you because I'm having way more fun. 
Well, in honor of rolling deals coming out on BJJ HQ, let's talk about something I know we can agree on. Did you see that really cool brown gi that someone designed yesterday that they had up? I don't like it. What are you talking about? You're you're not a fan of the brown gi. I'm not. Why? I don't like it. Why? <laughs> That's not a reason. Like I don't like it. It's awesome. What is your you like gray? You like this alternative colors? It's not as douchey as red, not as loud as yellow, not as effeminate as, you know, plaid. Ooh, a plaid gi. Oh god. No. If only it was Let me throw that I... to Scotty. Come on, a plaid gi? No. Kev, okay. I'll I'll, I'll look at this as we have very different approaches. I am already brown. I don't need a brown gi. <laughs> You're you are not playing a race card here. You're saying it's not a race card. It's just the way my face looks. You dick. <laughs> you don't want it to get washed out. I understand. I get that. Do you under like there are certain colors no, Hispanics it, but... do not wear? I don't wear orange because the association that you're a criminal. No, thank you. <laughs> I don't look great in red because of the face. Maroon, maybe. Red, not so much. Of the criminals. Oh, that's Think perfect. Think about it, God, you dick. I would not have thought you did not like the brown gi, and I could have never imagined these were the reasons. That was perfect, and that's part of it. Thanks for the surprise. Nah. And you know what? That's uh, even saying, as somebody who's looking at that kind of a gi, and I just go, I don't I don't like brown for unbelievable. that kind of a, a purpose. I don't think a brown okay. gi looks great. And that hey, I've seen. Asked and answered, America. Challenge to everybody now. <laughs> You find the gi that uh, Rafa Sparza will like. Hey, let's transition to Jake Shields' former organization, the UFC. We are, of course, sad to see Jake go, but um, you know maybe he'll try and sign up with some World Series of Fighting. I don't think we've seen the last of Jake Shields in a cage. Let's talk about UFC Fight Night, Noguera versus Nelson. Raf, what time is this on? Okay, my time? Yeah. It is going to be at 2 p.m. on Friday. Okay. Your time, it's 11 a.m. Oh, that's the sound of me scheduling important lunch meetings all of Friday mm-hmm. afternoon while I work from home. Does everyone hear that? It's funny mm-hmm. how that works. Um, Froy Nelson is on the card against Minotarda Noguera. Genuinely, who do you think wins this fight? Because I don't know. If... Big Country makes it into the octagon, I think he has a 60% chance of winning. Just because of his girth? Because he'll be taking it out? No, that has nothing to do with it. Why would you say that, Kevin? You're like a sizist now, including (laughs) being a racist. Kevin is also a sizist. We're learning so much about him tonight. Uh, I... Well, this is like the least amount of things I've ever had to say to get accused of being racist. That I love that brown key. Oh, good stuff. It's the fact um, that you laughed at it, Kevin. The fact <laughs> that you laughed at me saying I'm brown and I don't like that, and you were insinuating that, and that's terrible. Uh, yeah, however, you to heard get it back in my to tone, point, and yeah, I think I, I owe I, you an apology. Thank you. And I, I sincerely, Raph. I like this headline though that it says Shields manager Jake surprised but ready to move forward. Yeah, I mean, he's coming off one loss, but his fights have been about the same for the last five years. I mean, that's probably why he got the axe, right? Just not really 
you know, it's easy for me to say from a commentary perspective, but just watching his fights, I know exactly how a Jake Shields fight is going to go, and it's not the most high-octane entertaining battle anymore. Sure. So. But Jake Shields uh, gets the badass card, and frankly, I'm just surprised because I still do want to watch him fight, though. So I'm a little surprised they cut him. Uh, It's a little sad, but maybe it's one of those, for a guy like him, things where it, it does good things for him, like... Imagine fucking one fighting or any of these other places. Bellator, potentially, but I almost feel like he's a World Series of Fighting fighter. Yeah, probably headed that way. Uh, He and the Bam Bam can do an all-American tag team. That'd be awesome. Well, speaking of that, uh, we just found out Josh Hill signed a contract with them. Holy shit, the gentleman. The gentleman Jay. That's Who awesome. was also watching WrestleMania, might I? Oh, God, for fucking this. I'm just letting you know, all of the people that we like were either tweeting about it or liked our photo. I noticed that. I noticed a strong majority of people coming out with a strong opinion about that photo of me tapping so wildly. Uh, you know, I challenged so them to have a photographer while they're rolling in a ring, and we'll see what photos pop out of them. And I'm not going to be supportive, Raph. I'll tell you that now. Terrible threat. Yeah, that was the worst. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to everyone for making it. I'm sorry for wasting people's time with that threat. I, I, I might cut that out. We'll just that. I'll, I'll that let threat. everybody know uh, as repercussions for that and Kevin's intolerance and and bigotry and his <laughs> overall hatred of everything. You know, the for next that time I see him, I will uh, take care of him accordingly. Uh, Via another finisher hold that we'll, I guess we'll just have to find out later. On the legal finisher hold. It's you not know, illegal. With that accusation, I'm going to say Minotaro Noguera is going to win this match against Roy Nelson. I've decided. Okay. I'd number like 11 to over number 9. Yeah. You'd rather see Minotaro? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You can have that one. Well, screw it. Why I mean, not? Like... Roy Nelson's fun in the moment, but I never find myself saying I want him to win. Um, yeah, though I did kind of, yeah, okay. I like his attitude. <laughs> I do love his post-fight pressers, too. They're among the best in the business. <laughs> Clay Guida versus Tatsuya Kawajiri. <laughs> that was pretty <laughs> still terrible, but okay. Yeah. It's definitely not Kawajiri. Maybe Kawajiri. Uh, I would like the guy whose name you can't pronounce to win, so that way when we come back to it, it's even funnier. There's another one. Yeah, Mm. 9 versus 12. I don't know anything about Tatsuya, but we know what Clay Guida is capable of. Massive top abs. Um, Howard versus LaFlair. I'm going with LaFlair because you should see their pictures on the UFC fight card. He looks like he's one-eighth of John Howard's side, size. Mm. Uh, John Howard's with, definitely winning this fight. Yeah, I was about to say. I was like, I'm going with <laughs> Howard just because science Jesus. says he should win. <laughs> science. Uh, Ramsey Nihem versus Benil Dirouche. Uh Let me say Derouche's hair It looks like... It has been photoshopped on. <laughs> it doesn't look real. It and like someone did a just like a MS color job. Like not a very yeah. good. Yeah. You could also get like a chia pet paint and maybe put that on top and maybe that explains it. But yeah, it, it's definitely CGI'd on. 
tell you she's going to find That's Rafa Sparza, verbaltapcast.com. Uh, Jared Roschult versus Daniel. Oh, my. Really? Omi Lanskusk. No. Come Is this on. the guy? If you look at his photo, he Omi looks Lanzu. like a, uh, Mac from It's Always Sunny. Yes. Absolutely. So let's just go with him. Why not? Mm. <laughs> it's like, yeah, whatever. Uh, that sounds great, Kevin. Ronnie Yaha versus Johnny Bedford. How can you not go for Yaha? Um, because Bedford's nickname is Brutal. Yeah, but he's also got feet like Little tiny ones. Yeah. Like, doesn't That's look like probably a baby's. Yeah, I agree. Ah, shit. I feel that is going to actually have like a really nice story to it. After yeah. I just shat on it. Probably. All right. All right. Just blame it on me. People will be like, I, yeah. I will. I'll be like, Kevin fed me that line <laughs> off air. <laughs> People are definitely going to buy that. That listen to this one yesterday. That's how it works. Uh, Thalys Letes versus Trevor Smith, whose nickname is Hot Sauce. Awesome. <laughs> well, Smith wins. Trevor Smith has Trevor Smith is arguably one of like the blandest names possible to have a nickname called Hot Sauce. Well, because Hot Sauce makes everything better, though. True, but I'm going with Latex. Mm. Mm. Chris Camuzzi versus Andrew Craig. Andrew Craig looks like he should play soccer. Andrew Craig probably did play soccer until this moment, but I'm going with him, and here's why. Um, he has long hair, and I'm supporting the movement. Not like long, long hair. It's not like a weird long thing, but like below not the like, ears. Not like your weird long hair, right? It's longer than mine. No, it's fuck off. It's the, <laughs> it still works. That joke was so beautifully put in because you could see it happening in your face where you're responding to it without realizing. Yeah, that's great. I uh, wrote that one too, America. No. Clearly people know who writes the funny here. Uh, Chris Camozzi, I'll go with him because he has a grenade tattooed on his chest that has wings. <laughs> so if that comes at you, I agree. And it's followed next tattoo. to a tiger on his right arm. <laughs> He's got a lot going on. Like a mythical zoology theme. And you know, we're not even going to mention what the next match is because neither of those people bothered to show up for photo day. No, Al, and you and I have talked about this. You can't find a photo of them. Like, are you fucking kidding? UFC? Like, go to their Facebook. How serious is that? <laughs> that would be awesome. They should have their Facebook profiles. That would be way better than them, like, looking all badass. It's a great default. You know Roy Nelson would be in sleeveless shirts or Hawaiian, and mm. that's it. Like, those are the only two shirts he wears, business and dress business. <laughs> Uh, these actually look like fun fights, though. So UFC Fight Pass, Friday, April 11th, Noguera vs. Nelson, 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. over here on the East Coast. Wait, switch that. No, which is it? 2 p.m. Yes. East Coast, oh, 11 a.m. your time. Yes. I'm good at this. Mm-hmm. Hard to believe my 7th grade algebra teacher told me math wasn't my thing. <laughs> mm, hard to believe. <laughs> Uh, Rap, we have great guests on tonight. You want to go start talking to them? Yeah, let's do that. Let's clean up this uh, podcast with a little class. 
I would like to say we had a lot of, there's a storm in the area, so we had a lot of uh, calling out reception errors, so please just uh, deal with us. We did the best we could to edit it down and um, cut out some of the, the moments where my system was messing up, and thanks, big thanks to our guests for being uh, such cool sports about it. They're jujitsu guys, they adapt. Right, verbal tap fans. We have, and this is fun uh, <laughs> because we've been, uh, well, we've been working on this intro for a little while now. Scotty from onthemat.com, and everyone knows Scotty was just refereeing the Meta Morris matches. He's kind of everywhere in jujitsu. Um, we described you as jujitsu's most interesting man. How do you feel about that one, Scotty? <laughs> you guys must not get out that much. That's absolutely fair <laughs> we also <laughs> thought about introducing you with your soon-to-be broadway one-man show this one time with scotty where in which you and jujitsu people just talk about funny scotty stories because we seem to hear a ton from all of our friends well there's definitely a lot of them out there i was gonna say on broadway you could do whatever you wanted too we're just throwing that out and you also <laughs> promoted sponsored and refereed two fighters both from the On The Mat series at Metamorris. How do you stay impartial during those times, Scotty? Well, actually, I sponsored three guys there. And, um, you know, that, that staying impartial thing uh, luckily had a lot to do with the rules. Um, and I talked <laughs> with Halleck a long time uh, before that. You know, I just said, hey, you know, uh, you know, I'm sponsoring Eddie. I'm sponsoring Dean. I'm sponsoring Sean. You know, so that's, uh, you know, half the matches out there. Are, are you guys, you know, are people cool with that and everything? And, and uh, you know, he said, hey, I trust you. You've always been a fair, you know, honest guy. And, and I talked to everybody involved, and, and everyone's okay with it. So I said, if everybody else is cool with it, then, then I'm cool with it. So Yeah, we didn't even question it. We were also super okay. It was like, eh, it's Scotty. He's probably sponsored almost all of them at one point or another. But that's, that's cool. I forgot Sean Roberts. That's the person I have left off my list. Yeah. And Raf was telling me a story that you were actually when did you find out you were refing Metamorris? When did you agree to do it? Um well about two days before, uh Halleck asked me if I was open to it kind of as a substitute referee. Um there were supposed to be three referees from what I understand and um you know, I said, Hey, you know, if you if you need me, absolutely you need me, cool, but I was really planning on enjoying my night, you know, and um and then uh the day before um, he hit me up and he said, hey, I'm definitely going to need you. Can you shave your beard and, and get a black outfit? You know, and I said, oh, all right, I guess. Kit Dale's going to kick my ass, but, uh, yeah, I'll get a, I'll get a shave. And, and, um, and then I got there the, the day of and um, was told that nobody wanted to referee Hoyler Eddie. And then uh, I talked to a Halleck and he said, hey, man, will you, uh, will you referee all the matches? And I went, oh, my God, three and a half hours, you know, like, and uh, Halleck said, um, you know, no ref, no show, brother. I need your help. And I said, all right, man, if you're if you're cool with me doing it, then I'll do it. You know, let's let's do it. Okay, there I need to stop you here because there's about five different parts of that sentence we need to break up. Number one, you have to shave your beard in order to ref. 
Well, I did have this big, you know, wild man beard thing going. It all started with No Shave November. We had kind of like a contest going on around here uh, with the No Shave November. It got pretty big then, and uh, that was the biggest I had ever had it. I had a little bit of a head start. About two weeks I hadn't shaved before November started, and then I just let it go, and it was getting so big. Um, the girls, the girls that I work with here at the warehouse, they said you should let it go and be Santa Claus for Christmas at all the stores. I have this red and white uh, jujitsu Santa Claus jujitsu gi that I wear around to the shops during Christmas. So they said, "Let it grow out; it'll be perfect with your beard and everything." So I just let it grow, and um, you know, it's fun having a beard. I never had a beard that long, and and then Kit Dale came out to visit me, and we were hanging out, and I I couldn't believe how many ladies he gets with his beard. So I thought. Man, I, I might be this, this Kit Dale guy. He's onto something. I better follow with and and uh, let it go. But um, yeah, Halleck Halleck was a little bit scared that my beard would get too much attention and uh, people wouldn't be able to pay attention to the matches because uh, my beard was so uh, distracting. That's fair. It's jujitsu. It's submission only. There are moments when there's just not much to watch. And that's when Scotty's beard is taking key stage. But you mean to tell me that your beard could have caused a halt to Metamorris? You know, I, I'm not trying to tell you anything, but, you know, that's, I just, you know, Halleck, Halleck was in charge. You know, I'm there to help 110%. I totally, I totally back him, and I love what he's doing. I, I put my money down big time to sponsor that thing, and, and uh, so I didn't want to, uh, I didn't want to argue with the man. So that, that covers part one. Part two of that, I guess, a uh, loaded set of sentences he's trying to get me there was, Holy shit, three referees back out. I could maybe understand one, but three. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it, I, I, it definitely changed things up for me for the day. You know, like, I, I'm not going to lie. I was definitely stressing. I was nervous. I mean, here, this is the, you know, the match of the century. I got 20 years worth of jiu-jitsu street cred on the line. And, you know, <laughs> luckily there was no points. If there was points involved or anything like that, and there was going to be one referee I I wouldn't have done it for sure. There's no way I would have done it. But I spoke to Halleck and I said, the way I look at it is I should pretty much be invisible out there. These guys are all professionals. They know what they're doing. Unless they're falling off of the mat, um, then I shouldn't really be doing anything out there. He agreed with me and the way we went. And at any point, did you try and be like, can I, did you have an OTM referee shirt prepared or did you have to go with uh, just something you found nearby um i just had to run to the mall which was luckily right across the street from the hotel and get some stuff scotty did you ever have a moment though where you wanted to just like reset them just so that you could get a better logo for on the mat like optimal <laughs> D presentation that's genius raf that's a great idea no that wasn't really going through my head at all you know oh. i just <laughs> You know, I really, I just wanted to, um, I just wanted all the matches to go well and everything to go good. I, I felt like, uh, you know, I was getting a lot of exposure out there um, all, already. Uh, I was really proud of all my guys. Everybody did really well. So, plus my guys were the best dry, dressed guys out there, you know. I mean, Eddie looked awesome in his Lucky Gee pants and his OTM 10th Planet rash guard. He did. And, you know, Hoyler, <laughs> he looks badass. Hoyler needs me to make some gear for him because he looked like he showed up with some stuff out of his dirty hamper. <laughs> uh you were you were as close as anyone was to it how bad was the knee oh man man i saw that thing you know move out of joint and displace three different times oh. 
But, you know, Hoyler, he's known for that stuff, you know. He's he's like Gumby. He has those flexible joints that can come in and out. And, and um, you know, there was one point where um, Eddie had Hoyler in that 100% uh, neck crank and uh, and 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 Hoyler's foot started spasming when he was trying to get out and I I made one of those Ugh, faces and Hoyler <laughs> looked me right in the eye and he saw me making that face and he said I'm not gonna tap and I'm like I'm not gonna stop it you know <laughs> but you look like you're in a lot of pain I was thinking um, so I mean there's no way I was gonna stop a match because I thought somebody was in in pain you know pretty much they were gonna have to be screaming. Uh, uh, tap before I was going to stop any. There would be no early stoppages uh, with Scotty on the mat refereeing, that's for sure. You know, I'll say this. Uh, Eddie did look badass. It was the first time I looked at the gi pants rash guard combo and was like, damn. He is wearing that. So my compliments, I guess is what I'm saying. That's an impressive yeah. outfit. Thank you. Yeah, you actually, uh, a group of my friends, we were talking about the matches Monday, obviously, like everyone was as we were training, and they were talking about how bad that knee crank hurts, and everyone was uh, actually complimentary. It was like, you know, it was really nice he didn't stop it. That would have really sucked if there had been controversy. So you got the uh, approval of the entire jiu-jitsu world, even out here in Virginia. People were impressed. I mean, man, it was tough with that restart, you know, with, with Hoyler trying to go on top and and Eddie, uh, you know, taking the bottom position and stuff. And, and when they first sat, you know, Eddie, Hoyler came over like he was on top and Eddie sat down and, and, you know, I later heard on Joe Rogan's <laughs> podcast that Eddie was going to pull him on top and then roll him over. Mm-hmm. But, you know, nobody told me that. So I was like, what are you doing, Eddie? You're supposed to be on top. And it became a big argument. And then Hoyler was trying to argue that he was on top and, you know, thank God, uh, Kenny Florian and Jeff Glover were able to get the replay up there. First time a replay was ever used in a jiu-jitsu match, as far as I know. Don't think we didn't notice. Go ahead, Rep. And we want to be part of this movement that really is calling it the the Scotty replay. Is that a movement that you've heard of? I had not not heard it, but go for it. We're going to take credit for it as if we were the ones to come up with, because we want this to be a jiu-jitsu rule, because the hardest part about this is when you saw that reset happen, there's a guy who I was sitting next to at the event live who was terribly making dumb comments. But the one great thing he said was, of course, this match is going to have some drama. Yeah. Why wouldn't it? <laughs> and because the pressure was so high, the only way that could have been remedied is through a replay. Did you find that an invaluable resource when you were up there? Because I saw the look in your face, and I was just like, God damn it, he does not need this right now. We were with you, too, by the way. You were in a shitty situation. Like, both fighters completely ignored the position they were in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was – I was thinking, you know, when the whole thing was starting – I was talking to Raka and everything, and I'm like, I know at some point tonight, <laughs> some BS is going to go down, <laughs> and you know my street cred is going to be on the line. And of course, it gets down to the last fight, and in between, in between, you have to understand, in between each match, Raka was making fun of me because I couldn't remember my stupid lines that I was supposed to say in between. <laughs> I kept messing them up, you know. And so, and so, basically, we got down to that last match, and he goes, well. You know it's going to be in this one then, right? Because we haven't had a bad call all night. And I'm like, ah, oh, you jinx me, man, you know, for sure. <laughs> and so uh, I was highly aware that something was going to happen. And, and Halleck and I had talked before, 
And a couple of things that he wanted to make sure that I did was one, he didn't want me to drag anyone back into the middle and he didn't want people rolling over back in the middle because he thought it looked unprofessional and it wasn't, you know, broadcast quality. And I, and I totally agreed. And I said, well, you know, how, how am I going to make sure these people get back in this position? And, and uh, he talked about honor and that people were, you know, going to respect honor and go back to the position that they were supposed to be in and honorable warriors. And then, you know, of course, <laughs> we get back to that, that time. And, and, and you know, I'm, I don't want to throw Hoyler under the bus. You know, I've been friends with Hoyler forever. And he's, he's an epic warrior. I respect him. Probably one of the most out of all, the, all of the competitors in the Gracie family. And maybe he just really didn't remember or didn't understand uh, where he was at because it was a crazy position. I mean, um, adrenaline's a tricky thing. Sure, and the, I mean, so there was a lot let's of pressure, chalk it up to that. a lot of people yeah. yelling. And, and, but he also know. disagreed with you. He kind of looked at you like, what are you talking about? And it's like, hey, buddy, you were, you were without question not in the cradle. You, did not, you weren't yeah. cradling him. So that's why – but yeah, I'm sorry. Go on. No, I was just, uh, you know, of course, there's a lot of pressure, a lot of yelling going on. One thing I didn't know was that my mic was live. Uh, so when I said, Hoyler, lay the fuck down, um, I didn't realize I was getting broadcast to the whole entire world. <laughs> and afterwards, I was chastised for uh, cursing during the broadcast. But I was what? getting frustrated, you know what I mean? And I don't know if you guys could t- I don't know if you guys know this, but three years ago, I, I had a back surgery. I broke my back in three places. And... Um, you know, walking around and standing up there for three and a half hours, I was starting to get sore and uncomfortable. And that's why I was actually kneeling down on the mat was to take some pressure off of my lower back because it was starting to hurt. And and so I was getting a little bit grouchy, uh, not to mention it was like, you know, hot. It was so much hotter when you just climbed up on those stage, yeah. up on that stage and with those oh, yeah. lights and with a thousand people in there, um, it was yeah. definitely warm in there. I was sweating, you know, my you-know-what's off. And uh, yeah. so it – you know, it was getting to me a little bit, and I was a little bit frustrated and, and a little bit like, oh, come on, you know, you guys, you guys know where you're at. Like, just, just get down there. Just do it, you know? Yeah. Do you feel like you could have also maybe in between matches, in retrospect, asked for maybe a lawn chair? Uh, yeah, I might do that next time. I mean, and I, I do have to say this, and Kevin, I don't know if you know this, but um, Scotty, true or false, was that your first time refereeing? That was my first time refereeing, yes. Holy shit. Okay, no, I did not know that. Uh, it does not look like it. And I think that's a true testament to you really being impartial between these matches. Uh, you know, you, we've talked a little bit, about, I guess, about the drama. What was the hardest part for you in, in refereeing these things? Mm, probably not falling asleep during Clark Hoffa. <laughs> Well, can you talk to us a little bit more about that? <laughs> yeah, it was a long match. It was a long match. I mean, I wanted to say something, but I'm not allowed to, you know. Like, it was really disappointing because, you know, those guys are both killers and they're both awesome at jiu-jitsu. And I don't know what happened in that particular match that, um, you know, I don't know if, if Hoffa was just stuck on trying to do the same thing, do his signature move over and over again or or what happened, but, you know, it wasn't really much of a show. It was pretty disappointing, in, in my opinion. And the thing is, is I've, I've heard, heard uh, you on the Save Jiu-Jitsu podcast, which if you haven't heard, please support our good friend, uh, Rafael Lovato and those folks. But one thing that was interesting was Rafael was saying that 
it was a little disappointing to see that Hoffa wasn't going to pass and that maybe that was the biggest problem. Was that something that you felt? Um, because you have the best seat in the house. What was the, I guess, the disappointing aspect from his game? Well, he certainly did sweep Clark back, you know, onto his butt a few times, and, and he, I felt like he had the opportunity to come up and, and try to pass from then. I mean, he didn't try to pass the entire the entire match. I mean, his his brother did a great job of passing and showing multifacets of his game and, and submitting Samir. And attacking, um, so. yeah. You know, like, I, I'm not really in a position to criticize anybody's jiu-jitsu, especially guys on that level, but as far as on an entertainment level and, and making the match exciting, that, that was the, the low point of the event for me. And it's got to be kind of hard to stay really concentrated on that much jiu-jitsu. From a standing up there watching, that's why they change out referees in mixed martial arts. You always see in the UFC, just because concentrating on a fight that long can be really mentally and physically taxing, especially since you were essentially... I mean, your job was just to make sure no one got too hurt or to wake someone up. Um, how much does that play into, like, just the anxiety of the matches? <laughs> I mean, it, it it was long, you know what I mean? Like, I was up there for a long time. The half-hour break definitely uh, helped. I got a chance to get something to eat and get something uh, to drink. And then, of course, you know, the Hoyler-Eddie match was was so exciting and there was so much going on and so much energy in the room there you know i've been at a lot of the big ufc events and to me there was just as much energy going on um during that match as there has been at you know any other fight or anything that i've been at so absolutely um, that definitely woke me up i knew i had to pay attention during that <laughs> match uh, i didn't want to blow it in front of everybody uh that's for sure yeah during intermission i would have been begging raf to have like the biggest loaded bowl and maybe like two or three beers I could kill. Just like I got a, I got a referee for another sixty minutes. Raf, help me out here. <laughs> so if I ever get the tap days before, please uh, make that note. <laughs> so, um, Scotty, we're actually kind of curious. Tell us about Save Jiu Jitsu and uh, what your involvement is over there. And Raf and I are just curious how you met Rafael Lovato. Um, he's a friend of ours, and we're obviously huge fans. We were just curious how far back that relationship goes. Um, you know, Lovato and I were talking about this before. I don't remember how when exactly we met. I think he was maybe <laughs> like 15 or something like that. You know, I've been sponsoring him, I think, since Blue Belt. And um, he lived at my house with me in Brazil. And we just, you know, we've just been friends for for a long time. I don't, I don't remember exactly uh, when when we met, but... Yeah, you know the the save jujitsu thing. It's it started out, you know, with the you know the one year in the worlds. I can't remember which one it was. Maybe 2010 or 2011. We just had all those scissor banging fests, and I made that no scissor banging save jujitsu t-shirt that everybody <laughs> went crazy about. And uh, you know, it's just uh, I look at jujitsu now, and I think if I was a new person coming <laughs> in to uh, to start training and stuff, that I wouldn't. Um, I, I wouldn't be doing it, you know, if I walked in and I just seen two guys playing footsies and playing advantages and stuff. I never, I never would have become involved with it, and I never would have created, had a passion for it. And I think that it's a, it's a bummer that it's gotten so boring and and it's gotten so far away from its roots. Very interesting. 
Uh, we actually really appreciate that. You're you you're an elder in jujitsu in the sense of, and I, I you're a young. Obviously, you've just been at it so much longer than when it exploded. Um, and I'm always curious: is that what you see as sort of one of the biggest downfalls of the evolution of how popular jujitsu has gotten? Just uh, the the sort of sport versus traditional martial art, the thing we're seeing. Yeah, I mean, I just the. The sport, I don't have anything against the sport part of it. I, I love to compete and I love to see competitions and and they can be very, very exciting and very cool. Uh, just at some point, it got away from the idea was to try to submit the guy to win to just doing as little as possible to win. And uh, I just think that it's, I think that it's unfortunate where do you think that that modification uh, modification comes from for the athletes involved? Like, what do you think is the incentive for them? Um, I think I think it's so hard to, you know, other than like Metamorphosis and 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 what some of the big grappling events like Grappler's Quest and Five and Dream and and some of these other events do with some with some tiny amounts that they pay out to pro divisions. Um, it's impossible to be a professional jiu-jitsu athlete uh, because the way the tournament series is set up, it's you can only be a hobbyist. Now, if you if you own a gym, you know then you're a professional gym owner. You're not a professional jiu-jitsu athlete. So it's unfortunate that there's no way that you can be a professional athlete um, in jiu-jitsu. So therefore, you have to make your money by selling DVDs or selling seminars because you can't make a living by winning events. So therefore, winning the events uh, become important because the difference between winning the event at all costs to get all those seminars lined up and uh, losing or taking second or third place and then not being able to get those seminars, not be able to sell those DVDs, uh, you know, it becomes a big difference. So at some point along the lines, uh, you know, winning uh, became more important than showcasing uh, your skills and your submissions. Uh, you know, back in the day, we had guys like, you know, Nino Shemri, Fredson Pashaun, Shaolin, uh, all these different guys uh, that would go out there and, and put on submission clinics and didn't really, you know, of course they wanted to win, but, you know, showcasing what they were doing, their moves, their submissions and stuff. Uh, it seems was more important than just holding on and, uh, you know, doing whatever it takes at the last second to win. Uh, you know, you don't see these comeback from behind wins as much. It's a, it's become a lot more strategy and uh, a lot more of a game than going out there and, and fighting to try to dominate your opponent and to, to submit people. This is fascinating. Sorry, I'm. Uh, I just got lost in that, um, Scotty. This is why we were talking about like a one man show on Broadway. This is really interesting stuff. Uh-huh. When did you? What year did you start training jujitsu too? Just to give a total tonnage of how much time you've been around. Okay, well, I actually started training jujitsu in like 1993 or 94, but I don't really count that because I was living in Hollywood and uh, high heels. Gracie had an academy in Newport Beach, and so I would have to drive like an hour and a half to go down there once a week. Um, a good friend of mine, Rob Carter, who trains under Megaton in Arizona, uh, he was training jiu-jitsu before UFC 1, and he introduced me to it. 
And but it was, you know, I would drive down there. They only showed three moves a day. I think full time jujitsu in 1995 with uh, Half Gracie, and uh, I moved up to Northern California for work and drove by his academy and and stopped and and pretty much signed up a day or two later and started training full time from then on. And at some point, you lived in a house with Rafael Lovato. Um, does jiu-jitsu break out at any time there? We know what an intense competitor he is. Would you, like, you know, leave the couch messy and it turns into, like, a 10-minute um, submission-only match in the living room? Well, my first house in Brazil, we had no couch. Um, we just had the – we matted Perfect. the entire living room and bought, like, <laughs> 20 bean bags because the walls were made out of cement. So the beanbags would line the walls, and they would be put in some type of configuration for either watching TV or they'd be circled around the walls uh, for training. And, uh, you know, my house was called Casa dos Gringos, and uh, it was it was full of jiu-jitsu guys at all times, and there was all kinds of training and drilling and strategy and, and at any hours of the day or night were, was going on at my house. Uh, that sounds like the perfect spring break now. In my late 20s. Yeah, I was about to say, it's really living the dream there. Uh, when you're <laughs> in there, you were living in uh, Brazil. You lived there for about three years, is that correct? Yeah, about three years. What was the biggest takeaway from it? Because I've heard you speak about the difference between going there for a week and living there. Um, and you say that you don't really get the experience until you're there, at least for a month. Can you describe that experience that you had in Brazil? Yes, so I always tell people that they should try to spend at least a month there. I really feel like it takes a month before you start to get it, before you start to to understand the culture and the and the feelings and the and the way people are down there. You know, of course, Brazilians are a lot different um, than Americans in a lot of ways, and and I think that you know, being in in Rio, like the karaoke attitude, the laid back, relaxed type of attitude that they have. Um, is a great thing to experience and, and to uh, to feel. Um, also, a lot of guys go down there. They end up dating Brazilian girls, and dating and sex and relationships in Brazil is is way different than it is in America. Um, and the jujitsu there, of course, is it's just on a whole different type of level. There, I can remember times going to the main headquarters of Gracie Baja, and there being fifty, sixty black belts. Uh, on the mat there training, um, you know, there was always more purple belts uh, than blue belts and hardly any white belts training there at all. And there's all these mm-hmm. different body types and all these different game types and, and player types. And, and so you can really go down there and it's just, you know, the schools are so big, the tradition is so old, the guys are so technical, they're so good. You know, it's easy to run into like a purple belt there that has like a black belt and beyond guard or top game, and and everybody has their special moves that they specialize in. And to be able to watch them, study them, train with them, um, it, it's awesome, man. It's an amazing experience. Uh, anyone that's into jujitsu, I highly recommend going to Brazil for a little while. I I always recommend people go stay with my old roommate Dennis Ash at Connection Rio down there. And, and go down there with an open mind and an open heart and really try to suck up as much of the Brazilian culture, food, people, training that you can. What was the biggest uh, 
I guess if everybody specializes in a move, what was something that you were able to take away? Was there a particular field in jiu-jitsu or a particular move set that you were able to take away when you moved back to L- uh, to California? Um, you know, before I went to Brazil uh, in the academy at House, uh, we had a lot of high-level wrestler guys, so I was forced to play the guard a lot there, and I was a lot more of a guard player. And then when I got to Brazil... Almost everybody always pulled guard on me, so it forced me to develop uh, a lot more of my top game. I spent a lot of time with a, another guy who lived at my house. His name's Pete the Greek. Uh, he has a school, Rio Jiu-Jitsu, in, in uh, Chicago. And uh, the two of us studied a guy named Hanato Minagaya, um, who's considered the master of the over-under pass. Uh, he has a match on Copa um, de Jiu-Jitsu uh, number two, which is the event where Hoist got choked out by Valigi. And uh, him and Nino Shembri uh, are known for the over-under pass and how they do that pass. And, and that was something that uh, the two of us spent a lot of time studying and working on. And it, it's still my bread and butter pass. I, I use it against a lot of people and it works really well. That's the coolest. So as a younger male, both wildly into jujitsu and um, ladies, scale of 1 to 10, how badly do I need to go spend a month in jujitsu? Or I'm sorry, in Brazil. 11. 11? Okay, so it's, <laughs> it's north of 10. Um, and, you know, we, we trust Scotty's opinion on this one, especially... Um, Scotty, we also saw that you were doing a really cool seminar recently for people that are working on gi design and people just kind of, um, budding into the industry. And, and before we were talking to you about your, your new mentorship, what is it about staying in that role as a mentor that, um, that you find fascinating? Um, talk to us about your transition from just sort of running your business to now helping other people get started and. And helping others with it. Well, um, it's just kind of a natural progression of things. I've been lucky enough to have some people who have have mentored me. I've gotten really a lot of mentoring recently in the internet marketing uh, area, and I've been working with a lot of people in that. and And I've really seen the value in, in how much it can help you progress, and and also uh, how valuable it is. So I, I looked and I saw, you know, well, how can I help people uh, in jiu-jitsu, in my field? Like, where can I lend my expertise to people and, and help them? And, and in talking to my mentors and stuff, that's where I got the idea to do the, uh, you know, the BJJ Brand Builders program. When I first started looking into making jiu-jitsu uh, geese, you know, Howard Liu from Howard Combat Kimonos, John Awano from Awano Kimonos um, and Ed Clay from Gameness Kimonos were all people who um, helped me out, gave me advice, uh, didn't look at, at me as a competitor, um, and realized you know we need more businesses in the space in order to to grow the space. So uh, I did I did a couple surveys and I asked people what they wanted to know, and I put together a webinar based on uh, what. Um, people wanted to know and what I what I could teach them. Another real reason why I wanted to do it was I was tired of hearing about all of these stories of people getting ripped off by either fake Pakistani ma- manufacturers or 
or Pakistani manufacturers in general. After I went to Pakistan in 2005 and, and I taught the factories over there how to make Brazilian jiu-jitsu gis the same way I learned that they were being made in Brazil, now that that explosion of jiu-jitsu and the internet has occurred, um, it's almost like the new uh, Nigerian scam to contact people that have a jiu-jitsu-based website. Uh, you guys might get the emails too, you know, dear kind sir, we are a long-time manufacturer. Uh, we can make oh, you yeah. the best jiu-jitsu <laughs> gi for $1.95 a gi. And, um, you know, unfortunately, people are falling for the scam and they're losing money. I just had a guy last week hit me up. He only lost $700, but still he sent $700 for samples and never got anything. Oh. Uh, because That's of the terrible. sheer volume of jujitsu gis that I make and that I'm bringing over and the relationships that I have with the factories over there, most of the time uh, I can get people's gis made for them for the same price or a couple bucks more than what they're paying uh, to somebody who they've never met, they don't know, you know, could mm. be, could fold at any time. Uh, so I try to offer people a way to... Um, you know, get get their products and still be able to sleep at night. You know, if you're wiring ten thousand dollars over to Pakistan, um, it can be really stressful. And I know I went through it at first when I first started manufacturing, and you know, it's it's a crapshoot. You know, you're sending them over there. You don't know that person. Maybe you talk to them on, on Skype or just back and forth by email. Uh, but there's a, a lot of people who have lost a lot of money out there, and uh, that made me sad and angry at the same time so of course I'm doing this to create business and make money for myself too um, it's not a charity act sure. by any means however I can uh, make uniforms for people for the same price uh, you know make my small little cut on it but also put all of my years of expertise into it to help them make sure that they get exactly what they want it's a quality it's a quality product and they can do it risk free you know when you wire money into my bank account here in america uh you know we have legal systems and stuff that protect that person yeah, whereas if you western <laughs> union or wire your money to pakistan um it can just disappear into thin air and you know what are you going to do about it you know you're going to go over there yeah. and look for it have fun plus if you're <laughs> looking for scotty you can find him on the metamorris pay-per-view for just 20 dollars uh, just there a suggestion. I'm saying, and Scott, it's very visible. This is this is interesting to us because Kevin and I have an unofficial agreement between the two of us. That's if we ever wanted to create a gi, the first step in that process is to call and have you yell at us. <laughs> yeah, it was like we'll just have Scotty like send us an email being like, "You two are stupid." I'm like, yeah, that's probably right. <laughs> We'll just buy uh, the Lucky Gee series. We'll just pin a VT logo. That's adorable that the two of you <laughs> think you can make these. That'll be the well, that'll be the desire. I mean, now you're just teasing us at this point, um, <laughs> Scotty. The thing for us though is is when you do have those things and you are building those brands, and we love the webinar. Like Kevin and I didn't necessarily have a Gee brand that we were interested in, but we listened to your webinar and we were so impressed with what you're doing with the community. What is it that you feel the community for jiu-jitsu is missing the most in this area of both like business and trying to get it to those steps where it is that popular sport that everybody wants it to be? 
Well, I mean, I think the sports popularity is just exploding. You know, on the webinar, I showed that uh, Facebook is showing uh, at that time uh, 10 million people with interest in Brazilian jiu-jitsu worldwide through Facebook. Of course, the whole world isn't on Facebook. Um, however, here we are about two months uh, later, and I did another worldwide check on it, and uh, it's jumped up to 12 million. So that's another 2 million users and a million users a month expressing interest uh, shows some really rapid growth in the sport. So the space is, the space is growing quickly. Um, you know, that webinar has got me a, a pass. I'm, you know, like I said, I'm going over to Qatar and, and the UAE to meet with some people over there who saw my webinar and are interested in doing some work with me. So I think if you put, put, put that good energy out there and you try to help, resonates with people, they appreciate it, and you get good opportunities that come back from it. Well, Scotty, we really appreciate it. He's actually, and uh, for Verbal Tap listeners, you can probably hear some sort of things. Scotty's you know, been really putting up with some service issues for us tonight, too, so we appreciate your uh, your patience here this evening, Scotty. Uh, my pleasure. It's not your fault. Most definitely. <laughs> and Scotty, I do have to ask. It's it's cool. Um, you know, we've had this whole thing about Hempkeys, not Hempkeys, uh, coming up recently. Um, you know, what is your take on that landscape in this world right now? Um, you know, I I will put out there that I've been ripped off by manufacturers and lied to by manufacturers when I was trying to make the uh, very first bamboo jujitsu geese. Um, I was ripped off by the place that uh, milled the fabric for my pants. I was supposed to get 10.5-ounce uh, twill bamboo pants. Instead, I got 7.5-ounce. Uh, they probably saved a nickel a yard. And uh, all the pants that I got ripped, it was very devastating. I lost tons and tons of money. But you know, that being said, I went back, I replaced every single pair of pants for people who had their pants rip. I refunded anybody who wanted a refund. I replaced, you know, complete uniforms. And, and I feel like you really have to take responsibility for it. I started looking into making geese out of hemp uh, in the late 90s. Uh, I think Howard Liu was also doing it at the time. Uh, I got some samples made, but I could never get the correct fabric top. I could come up with great pants but I couldn't get the, the right fabric. I'd been over to China six times uh, trying to get it done, and I still couldn't get it done. And, and then through a mutual, uh, a mutual friend of, of mine, I was introduced to Chris from Datsusara, who had been manufacturing hemp backpacks and hemp bags. Uh, he was trying to get hemp geese made, and he had the quality of hemp figured out. How, however, his... Um, backpack manufacturer they didn't know how to make a gi so the two of us teamed up and uh, he used his fabric and my gi manufacturer I helped him make I think his second or third batch of hemp gis which came out really good uh, in return he turned me on to the mill that created his hemp fabric and uh, I made some changes in the fabric that he was using came up with my own fabric and then made my hemp lucky gis and you know, I, I realized right away when I heard about those other hemp geese that uh, something just wasn't right. Uh, when I spoke to the guy that was making them, he was telling me that he was shipping hemp from China to Pakistan. 
and then ha- having it milled in Pakistan and and then the ghee's made and shipped to the United States and it just didn't add up to me. I'm like, well, how is it that you can make a ghee? How can you pay for all that extra shipping in between and you're making a uniform for less than it costs for me just to make oh, the fabric? So um, unfortunately, like, you know, I feel like the guy who, 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 whose company it was, he hasn't handled this situation properly. Um, I, I do feel like there's a little bit of deception that was going on there. If, if he really was buying bulk hemp from, from China, it would be very easily to uh, scan and put up a, a piece of paper that's called a BOL, which is your bill of lading. Um, that's, a, that's a piece of paperwork that all products that are imported and exported from one com- um, it's almost like your your shipments passport so to speak um, you know it has official country stamps on it and it, it says right on it what you're importing what the classes are what the codes and stuff so um, if if he was really doing what he said he was doing uh, and he was deceived uh, there would be a lot of documentation that could be provided uh, to to prove that I know Chris spoke to him over two years ago and expressed his um, concern, uh, you know, not as a competitor, but as a, as a person who has a lot of passion for the, the hemp products. You know, Chris lives in Santa Cruz. Yeah, we he's love like Chris. We love guy. the Detsura bags. They're amazing. Or the yeah, Detsura so, I mean, he's a very ethical person. He's not a cutthroat you know, shysty businessman, and, and him reaching out to that company and saying, look, um, there's some issues with your products, you really need to look into it, and, and to let two years go by before you supposedly look sure. into it um, doesn't paint, paint yourself in a good light to me. Um, this, this sandbox that we all play in called jiu-jitsu is very small, <laughs> very tight-knit, uh, especially those of us who have been around mm-hmm. for a while. We all know each other for a long, long time. And, uh, we, you know, we've competed together, we've trained together, uh, we partied together. Absolutely. And uh, I, it's, it's really bad when something like that happens and, it, and it's handled wrong and it's, and it's not taken care of. Um, so, you know, the ball's in that guy's court. Uh, me personally, if, if, I had bought, if I had bought a uniform and uh, I was expecting that it was something, you know, that it was hemp and it turned out not to be hemp, m- me personally... Um, I, I would do anything I can to make it up to my clients and, and to the community. Uh, I'm not really seeing or hearing that from him. But then again, I've been very busy doing everything with Metamorris, getting ready for it, and sure. doing everybody's uniforms. I don't, I don't stay on top of a lot of that that drama. Sure. But I have seen some stuff on Facebook. I have seen some yeah. stuff on MMA.tv about it. We're giving it, it a few really weeks before like we a, cast a final. We're just kind of waiting to see if something comes out. We're hoping it will. And, you know, I've seen the uniforms. They're, it's not that they're a bad quality uniform or they're poorly produced, but it's just not um, what you know, I do know as. I saw the guy yeah. at the Jiu-Jitsu Expo, and, uh, you know, I said, hey, you know, like, if these things are – yeah, if these things are really hemp, let's get a lighter out and burn them. And, uh, you know, he wasn't open to that. And uh, I own my own sublimation facility here in Los Angeles. You know, we have our own factory. Um, we make all of our rash guards and our shorts uh, and, and spats and stuff and T-shirts right here in America uh, made in the USA. So uh, I'm very familiar with sublimation 
equipment. I have a gentleman, uh, Matt Gussie, uh, who works out of our office, and, and we use his equipment. And he's one of the leading experts in, in sublimation in the world. Like, he does all of Disney's sublimation. He does stuff for, like, big-time NFL teams and and stuff like that. And when I talked to him about the guy having uh, hemp rash guards that were sublimated, he just flat out said it's impossible. You know, it, it can't be done. It won't mm. work. Uh, even a blend that this guy was saying was impossible. So, you know, when I asked him about it, I said, hey, you know, how do you know this is what you're really marketing it to be? And, and you know, you never notice, like, you know, you can, we can tell sometimes by somebody's response, you know, like where they're coming at. And, and instead of coming at it like, oh, really? You know, like curious and, and concerned about it, um, I, I was got, I've got anger and distaste back from them. So um, that, that again, to me, is either a, a sign of character or somebody knowing what, you know, knowing what was going on. At, at any time, if somebody came to me and said, hey, your product uh, might not be what you think it is, um, I would instantly be concerned to figure out, well, what's going on? You know, like, really? Like, how do you know that? You know, it, it, you know what I mean? Like, I, I'm concerned about it. You know, my cu customer service is a huge, huge thing for me and my business. And um, I, I answer a lot of customer service emails myself. I monitor them. I monitor them all. And I'm at every tournament that I can get to. And I'm, I put myself out there, I talk to people, and I, and I want to know, you know, I started making uh, jiu-jitsu equipment and gear because I couldn't get what I wanted. You know, like I went after creating the first Lucky Gi because nobody else was doing what I thought could be done. Um, so to me, gi. somebody who doesn't want to, you know, someone who's not open to uh, criticism or feedback uh, it just, it just to that to me, it, it makes me kind of look at that person like, well, what's going on here? You know, like really, you know, and you know, maybe the person's deceived, but it starts to feel like they're the deceiver when they act like that. You know what I mean? I mean, I would just say the the interesting thing is to be able to get your perspective as somebody who has been in that fight. In that, you know, when you say you're putting a hemp key out, you really mean it, and. We know from Chris's angle, this has been something that he feels passionate about. So I guess the ultimate question for me that I've always wondered is, do you feel there's a way back out of this? Do you feel there's a way to save that business just based on your own uh, principles and what you've seen as, as a business owner like this? Uh, I absolutely do. You know, when I had the problem with all those defective pants uh, with the bamboo Lucky Geese, um, I could have ran away and hid and, and, and kept a lot of pe people's money, um, but instead I, I put a big post up on my website and, and on Facebook about what happened and what I was doing to resolve it. I refunded people's money and let them keep the uniforms. I, I remade the pants in cotton as fast as I could, and I paid to have them air shipped over from China, which cost me a fortune. I then took every single person that ordered the ghee. I put a pair of pants, I put a free DVD, I printed out a letter that I hand-signed apologizing, explaining what happened, and, and offered them a, a refund or another gi from then on, and I, I packed them all up, and I paid the shipping, and I expressed them out all over the world and all over the United States at no cost to any of my clients, and, you know, it's, it's still to this day, if people have a problem with a product that I've come out with, I always do my best to try to resolve it, so I think that if... If the guy who owns that company 
Um, you know, I, I seen he put out a blog post that, you know, blamed the manufacturers and blamed stuff, but, you know, I have, I haven't, again, of course, I'm out of the loop. So if, if some of this stuff has been done, then great. I'm glad it's being done. Um, you know, and that, then, and in that case it is being handled correctly, but I think the correct way to solve it is just like when a car company has a problem with a car, you have to do a recall. You have to reach out to these people and say, look, you did not get what you paid for. If you are not satisfied, I am willing to do whatever it takes to make you satisfied. Be it either refund your money, get you a new uniform, give you a discount, give you a credit for another uniform. You have to you know, be able to take that burden on your shoulders and make it right. You know, you when you put a product out onto the market, at least I know, when I put a market out on the product, my face is on there. I don't hide behind a name or anything. You can see my videos all over YouTube. You can see me at any tournament. You can post up on, on forums everywhere. The, the only one I don't post on is SureDog. I don't know. For some reason, I got banned off of that one. I have no idea why. I've had a similar problem. It's not you. Um, so, yeah. yeah, you know, I don't actually, go on it's a, sure it's dog, a vote but... of honor if you've actually been voted off of sure dogs. You know? <laughs> That's a good sign. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll take that medal. I mean, Jeff Sherwood's a, an old friend of mine. I helped him launch uh, uh, SureDog.com back in the day. You know, we, we communicated back in the day and, and talked about servers and HTML and all this stuff to get it going. I realize he's not really that involved in it anymore but i just i just think that it's funny you know that i have like a joint date of you know day one from the forum on there but somehow some whoever kid or whatever can kick me off who definitely hasn't been on there as long as i have but whatever i don't care <laughs> um you know the, the way i look at it is they're, lo- they're losing out on my feedback because you know when i go post on it, any of these forums or any of these groups i try to be honest i try to bring good information and um you know, I, I, I try to bring, you know, my 20 years of jujitsu experience to things. So if, if they're not interested in hearing that, then why should I waste my time uh, putting that information out there? But, you know, back to the situation with these, this quality of the product and stuff, I think he can turn it around, but I think he needs to, uh, uh, you know, step out and, and say, you know, a, 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 apologize, make an offer, and, and try to resolve the issues. I had somebody hit me up on Facebook today who got one of those uniforms that was interested in buying one of my uniforms because he was disappointed. He thought he was getting a hemp uniform. Unfortunately, my uniforms are sold out right now, and I couldn't, I couldn't hook them up. But I let him know when my next ones come out. You know, I'll totally hook him up. And I'll give him a deal because I, I feel bad that he lost money investing in that other company. Yeah. And so, it, you know, the ball's in that guy's court. We'll see what he does with it. Uh, there's plenty of great new gi companies coming out. I myself am launching some new gi companies through my mentor program, and their products are looking fa- fabulous. We have some killer stuff coming out. Uh, Chris and I were talking last night. Uh, um, he has some killer new stuff uh, uh, coming out, uh, and um, the guys from Flow have some cool new hemp stuff coming out. And now that the three of us are pooling together to buy this new hemp fabric in a larger quantities and large larger amounts, uh, the price of the hemp uniform should come down significantly and uh, be more affordable to everyone. Well, <sighs> Scotty, this is fantastic, and we appreciate it. We're also huge fans of your product. We're huge fans of pretty much anything you make. And I was about to say, was the goal of this interview to just get my wallet and just take it? Because I was going to say. He's talking about these geese that he's going to be putting out, and I'm like, I want all of it. Give me all of it, Scotty. It's fine. Just take take my wallet. It's Do yours. you have layaway? 
Is that a thing at onthemats.com? That might just be Kmart. I should yeah. We do have a payment program. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, Scotty, no joke. Anyone you talk to in the jiu-jitsu MMA community that knows you, that has ever known you or has been around, has kind things to say about units because you uh, always take time out to talk to people like us and spread the gospel about jiu-jitsu and, and just anything. So we really appreciate your time tonight and encourage everyone to hit onthemat.com. Um, you are, you're the best. This was great. Well, thank you guys very much, man. It's been awesome to be on your show. Um, I appreciate the support and all the kind words. It really means a lot to me. Um, I've always had hard to, um, to, to bring good products and good light, good things to light in the jujitsu community. You know, I, I used to promote and throw tournaments and, and create products and open stores. And I've always just done things to try to try to give back to jujitsu and to you know really try to grow the sport and and have it be something that more and more people can be involved in we really appreciate it ladies and gentlemen scott nelson verbal tap fans you're used to us having guests that raf knows or Raf gets to uh, harass on a routinely basis with jujitsu questions and such. This time we have someone from my area. That's right, Raf. Do you feel the power shift? Do you feel like there's a power <laughs> shift going on? I feel like you're doing a terrible introduction for a wonderful human being, but <laughs> that's a, well, that's we're still happy to true. have him. So it's not uh, a competition to bring a better guest. But I'm excited to talk with Jeremy. <laughs> Jeremy, how are you doing tonight? And Kevin, do a better introduction now. From Capital MMA and Elite Fitness, four locations throughout the DMV area, um, Gracie Black Belt, Jeremy Lafreniere. Jeremy, how are you doing this evening? Oh, fantastic. Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. We are stoked to have you on the podcast. And um, if you're out in this area, you know who Jeremy is. But we wanted to have you on because a lot of our listeners are always curious, like, um, you know, what was it like before jujitsu exploded? What was it like before MMA exploded? And you're a great guy to answer those questions. Talk to me about the timeline. When did you start um, Capital MMA and Elite Fitness? Yeah, I, and by the way, I only heard part of that. So let me, if okay. you can rephrase that or at least <laughs> say it again. Um, what's it like for before jujitsu exploded, before MMA exploded? Is that the question? Yeah, well, and like, when did you start Capital? Because you started before all these sports exploded. Yes. So I was just curious what that was yeah. like um, from a time frame. Yeah, no, so it's actually pretty cool. So I graduated from the University of Connecticut with an elementary school teaching degree. So that's that goes back many years now. Um, and I became, uh, after that, you know, I, I became the first student of the first Gracie school in Connecticut. And, um, and that was 1997, and it was really, really cool. It was a total mistake. I was actually <laughs> taking Aikido classes, and, um, and so one of the Aikido instructors would travel an hour and 15 minutes each way, twice a week, to train with the Westchester crew. So I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, Steve Cardian or John Burke or Rob Kahn or, um, anyway, Mike Casey, a bunch of guys from, uh, from way back in the day. And, 
and so you know that was my that was my introduction was was by accident aikido instructor started teaching jiu-jitsu classes at the aikido school and i fell in love it was amazing um and so i very soon after met hoist gracie and started teaching classes at that school when my instructor was away and when i moved to this area in 1999 that's when hoist asked me to start a little satellite program underneath him and and I did. It took me a couple of years to really grasp that idea. It was not a comfortable idea to to have a school or, you know, a, a little program of jiu-jitsu. Yeah, you're referring to Hoist Gracie asked you to do it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, he he, he was encouraging. Okay. Yeah. So he was encouraging me to start a little satellite program, you know, and um, and I did. And and then it, it just grew. Actually... It, to, to be honest, at first it didn't grow at all. <laughs> it was my friends who were coming to the art room of an elementary school. Just imagine this, you know, 1990, <laughs> uh, well, actually, I guess it was about 2000, pushing art room uh, tables, you know, to the side, crayons spilling on the floor, going, bringing a dolly to the to the PE room and, and getting the mats, bringing them in, setting it all up. And half the time, nobody would show. And the other half, when somebody would show, it was one of my friends who was just, you know, feeling sorry for me personally. So that was that was actually the beginning of Capital MMA. Interesting. I don't. And, uh, and you, and, you know, and, you dial um, forward a year, and we've got about ten students. Dial forward Jerry, another year, and you've got about thirty students, and then we opened up our own location. Yeah. I was just going to say, why don't more academies, when they're starting, adopt that model? Uh, I see that that opens up new jujitsu possibilities. A nice art room. I love it. You mean stuff? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm thinking about you know, all the like hidden weapons you have with crayons. I think I could get a couple more sweeps at the very absolutely. least. Absolutely. Oh man, I tell you, you know, it was my ongoing joke for a long time that the reason why I was even doing this stuff to begin with was to defend myself against my own students. <laughs> <laughs> so there were some real mo- there were some real monsters in my classroom at that time, and I'm not talking about jujitsu classroom. I'm talking about the elementary school days. So. <laughs> <laughs> that actually explains but, you a know, lot about your atmosphere. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know that's really where we're going too. You said family like atmosphere. We have four schools, but I think one thing that does separate us, and and um, not from every school, but you know, there's a lot of schools with great communities, but I really am proud of the community aspect of capital. And I think that, um, that maybe it does have something to do with the roots, but it's very, it's a very strong community. A lot of people care about each other. They care about each other outside of the, of the uh, training environment, you know, and, um, and it's apparent, you know, I mean, I just, Tonight alone, I have people asking about other people at other locations even. So four locations, you're like, oh, it's so big. You know, everybody's just a number. It's not like that at all, actually, at Capital. No matter how big it gets, people are still extremely connected. What do you attribute being able to merge the uh, family culture with the MMA culture? Because those aren't necessarily audiences that merge a ton. Um, you know, just given the nature of MMA, but you have people fighting in the local community and you also have sort of just like, almost like daycare events at the gym. How do you balance that? No, I I guess part of it is not just about balance, but it's about trying to set an example. And I'm not a guy with a big ego. You know, I don't put my name on the building. 
I don't, I'm not interested in, uh, in self-promotion. I just love jujitsu. I really do. And so why, if you love, love jujitsu, why add Muay Thai? Why add CrossFit? You know, why add MMA? Because I really wanted to meet the needs of my students. I had jujitsu students who started to fight MMA. So they were asking coach, what can we do? You know, how can we get more striking in here? And I'm like, all right, I have an answer for that. Let's add a striking program. It's not about me, it's about them. And I think a lot of people have adopted that, you know, like it's not about about uh, me and my career. It's about helping the entire community become better. And by the way, I think a community that's always trying to make everybody else better is a community that challenges you more. Because if my goal is to make you better, then I'm going to get you to a place where you're going to challenge me more at a faster rate. So I like it. I like the model in both in both uh, in both regards. Absolutely. Um, with the CrossFit culture, do you does it tend to because we see a lot about you know sort of CrossFit culture versus MMA even and just CrossFit cultures versus other things. Do you have any yeah. challenges maintaining the the CrossFit side? Not too much. Um, you know, a lot of people. I think that the CrossFit adds that general physical preparedness element. You know, that GPP conditioning element to capital. Um, but as, as far as the cultures go, uh, you know, we have people who definitely train in one uh, as opposed to all. Um, some people train in, in, in two, um, even three programs. It's very rare that somebody trains in all the programs, MMA, Jiu-Jitsu, Muay Thai, and CrossFit. But we do have some of those, too. But, um, but when it comes down to it, you know, CrossFit's not so different from a culture than is Jiu-Jitsu or Muay Thai. You know, you, you learn your skills, and then you play the game. And that's kind of how CrossFit is too. You learn the skills, you know, you go through and you learn the technical aspects of, of CrossFit, whether it's a clean, a jerk, a snatch, how to swing a bell, how to do a pull-up, and then you play the game. It's on, wad time. And you get your fire breathers who are going to crush everybody, and you get your people <laughs> who are brand new, and the fire breathers are cheering them on. What's so different about that than jujitsu? You know, it's yeah. like you know you walk into a class, you learn the skills, and then it's go time. You know, I don't care if you're a white belt, you got to go with a black belt. And man, he's a fire breather, and he taps you out six ways a Sunday. It's great, but he's also cheering you on and teaching you as you go. So I think they're very similar cultures. Um, it's just you know, kind of the, the ultimate goal is slightly different. But all of them, Muay Thai, Jiu-Jitsu, and Cross, benefit the MMA fighter. Remember the good old days when you just had to worry about one? Those were great. Oh, yeah, just one tool and one program. That's, oh, man, that was, that was, that was beautiful days. <laughs> so, Jeremy, how many schools are you up to right now? We have four locations, and okay. one is currently going through a big transition right now. We have, uh, you know, you kind of, um, one of my students, you know, you go back to uh, families and, and uh, and and kind of the, the the background. One of my students would travel from Tacoma Park, Maryland, to Alexandria, Virginia, three times a week for years. He was mm -hmm. he's been with me since January of 2002. And you dial forward in time. Now he has a family of his own, and he just you know the commute is becoming more and more difficult and he asks me if he can open up a small satellite program in Tacoma in the Tacoma area and i said no it's just i did not want to do it it was too much you know 
And uh, so he kept asking me, kept asking me. After a year, he broke me down. I'm like, okay, let's do this. And now, um, that was about five years ago. Now he is, uh, he will actually have the first independent capital MMA and elite fitness bu- uh, business. Um, he's leased a space. He, uh, on May 1st, he opens the doors and he will own it. It's going to wow. be awesome. So that's, yeah. that's so amazing. It's not a satellite anymore. It's an independent program, you know, <laughs> part of the, wow. part of the brand, but, but his own deal. And for that's those so who great. don't know, that's a serious drive he was making. Um, if you're not in yeah. the area, that's one of the worst commuted areas in, in the United States. So that's, that's amazing. I actually didn't know it was going to be a, an independent capital MMA elite. That's, uh, that's really cool. And I guess the hard part yeah, is, between- it really is. Between Kevin and myself, who own a combination of zero gyms uh, together, no, but we have <laughs> several geese. We have several. We have geese. several geese, just not <laughs> that many gyms, right? <laughs> not enough. If we gyms. did have a gym, this would be a terrible way to really talk about our business. But for you, I would say, Jeremy, what is the hardest aspect of of keeping those five businesses around? Because we do talk to people who are owners, have maybe a gym or two. But when you start getting into the yeah. multiples, you know, what is the hardest part about keeping all of those in line? Um, you know, it's, it's it, having business acumen is something that's extremely important if you're going to own a business. You know, I think that there's three different pillars that make the business or a business successful. And that is you have to have the ability to manage the business. That's very important. In our industry, you have to have skills. You know, like you have to back up what you know. Like jujitsu, this is how it crawls with any of it. Like if you're not good, it's going to show up. Or if you don't train because you're, you know, you don't roll with the with the students outside of the occasional white belt, you know, it's gonna it's gonna definitely um, begin to haunt you. And uh, teaching ability. Those are the three areas that are going to make your business grow. So what I found was by mistake because I was an elementary school teacher. I loved to teach. I fell in love with jujitsu. Um, what I found is that I had a little bit of an ability to, to manage business too. And, um, and so to keep it all together, uh, I, my model is to help people with goals, period. That's it. Very simple, you know. How do I create an infrastructure that helps people with goals? And what are some of the goals that a person might have? Just fun. They just want a motivating environment that they can walk into and just enjoy themselves. Um, and then, on, you know, like Kevin said, we also have fighters. So, and by the way, those goals, they might seem far apart, but they're not so much because what does the fighter need? Sponsors, fans. Well, where's your greatest resource for sponsors and fans. You're all training partners. We're just there two times a week having fun, you know? So I create a culture, at least I try to, where everybody can get a little bit of what they want. So there you that's kind of how I also hold it all together. <laughs> to say, um, and uh, he also has Don No as an employee. So that's probably, probably <laughs> not an example of being able to hold it all together. But you find some good ones. In the mix, that's actually. Hey, you know, I'm I'm the I'm the good cop. He's the bad cop. So he, <laughs> it works out perfect. <laughs> 
There you go. That's actually the first time I met him was through one of our very drunk mutual friends who introduces me to uh, Jeremy and doing jiu-jitsu. And it was, uh, I think, at like Fur Nightclub. They were having MMA events, like right where the dance floor is practically. And this was uh, a little bit before MMA had exploded. This was like 2009 when – and it was – that was fantastic. So tons of fun to see that. But that's, again, that's the, the local culture coming out. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. You were teaching a class tonight. Raph and I were like, what do you I think was. he's teaching them right now? What were you going over? You know, we did a lot of drilling tonight. So the actual curriculum was mount retention, transitioning from cross mount to mount, mount retention, and not so much submissions, but kind of staging submissions for next week. So, But we also did a ton of drilling just, uh, you know, I, I really felt like, uh, you know, they needed a little extra work on the guard and uh, passing, you know, just so more more gauntlet-style guard training um, with a couple of notes. And then tomorrow night we're going to hit the curriculum uh, pretty hard. So, there we go. you know, I, and Sounds yeah, thought so out that's too, what we did. Which is always a nice, yeah. uh, very, very cool mm-hmm. What has been, and this <laughs> yeah. is the question we have to ask you, what has been a big transition since the, um, just over the last three to four years as you've gone from business person to coach to teacher, what's the biggest transition you've seen with the martial arts, jiu-jitsu, MMA community as, as a total? So last four years, biggest transition is, and it's actually something that upsets me quite a bit, is the standards for black belt are deteriorating. It took me 16 years to get a black belt under Hoist Gracie, you know, and that's somebody who owned four schools. Um, one of the things that I believe is happening, and I believe I, I've seen it in real time, is the standards are beginning to deteriorate. And one of my friends, uh, also a local community guy, David, uh, is. Uh, um, you know, he got completely hoodwinked. You know, this guy he contacts, uh, you know, a really very reputable, competitive local black belt. And um, guy contacts him, has this whole story. Man, David ends up certifying a fake belt. It's Ooh. unbelievable. So you're getting more of that as well. It's just it's just crazy how, how easy it's becoming to get rank and... Um, how many people are faking rank? So, I so think that's wait. probably one of the one of the biggest transitions, and it's the, and it's one of those upsetting things to me personally. I would like to say that is the most terrible thing I've ever heard of. Also, do you have their number where we could call them yeah, to just, get certified? We're, we're just asking not, for friends. We're asking for friends. It's not for not us. For ourselves, no. Obviously. <laughs> No, it's not. <laughs> Both of our instructors would find us and hurt us quick. It's always so funny because it's like when people do bring this up as a joke, even in our academy, uh, you, you kind yeah. of sit there. And I, and I think the, the hardest thing that it is for me to try and put together is how do you go to another place and then say, like, hello, everybody. Um, hi. Uh, online. Got this. <laughs> so let's uh, go. Same thing, right? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I just think it's amazing, you know, and I actually, it's amazing, but it's also brainwashing. 
You know, you see, yeah. you see kind of that, 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 you know, script on every Taekwondo school's wall across the country. Your goal is the black belt. I gotta admit, my goal is not the black belt. I mean, it took me 16 years, but you know what would have changed if I got the belt earlier, if I got the belt later? One thing that would not have changed is my training habits. That's one thing that would not have changed. I just love jujitsu. I love training. I love I love uh, uh, grappling. You know, um, but you know, most people they 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 really find just this this sense of like uh, accomplishment when they get the belt itself. Like it takes precedence over the skill. And so yeah, you do. You get a lot of people. They just feel they just they put either pressure on themselves or they feel some kind of pressure that doesn't really exist and man i mean you know hoist uses me an example all the time in the network as a purple belt had more students than uh you know most of the black belts in the network so is that the reason why you're successful is it is it, is it business you know just um it's upsetting to see anyway absolutely so, and uh you know that's just kind of the nature of how much bigger jiu-jitsu is getting yeah um yeah it is it is getting to that point where people are going to try and do those variations and and I do tell people this I'm like you know there's a nice thing to be said about online supplemental programs and not programs but just information yeah. like YouTube you can't be stupid about the fact that there is a digital thing that is changing the way people learn about things however until yeah. my computer learns to fight me <laughs> or yeah. to teach me what I am drilling incorrectly, I think it's a far away from telling me it has the means to give me a belt. And, and that's just a personal preference, but it doesn't mean that what you can learn from it isn't great. And is that something that you're finding uh, just as a person who owns these different academies that that is becoming a tool that more people are using? Like they come and they go, oh, I learned this on YouTube. Let me drill it because I know it, right? <laughs> You know, and I actually, I do encourage my students to go out there on YouTube and the other media sources. I actually believe in those. Uh, what I, what, but also at the same time, I'm trying to give them an understanding of jujitsu, so that way they know they can, they can, they can see what what is good technique and what is bad technique. Because it, just because it's on YouTube doesn't mean it's good technique. But it's it's nice to get a little extra dose of uh, study. It's if it, that's what it is. It's a resource, you know. Um, it doesn't take the place of the classroom, but it's definitely can it definitely can supplement your time in the classroom. Uh, but again, not every information is good information out there on the internet. That's for that's what? for sure. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. It's uh, dare you? Know, you. Some of the, it's because he's from some Connecticut. Of the stuff is, <laughs> some of the stuff is laughable some of the stuff is okay um, but there's actually good stuff out there too and you gotta give that credit that's absolutely and Jeremy we you were talking you were just talking about how important these uh, student centered events are and obviously Raph and I are both big believers of you want to get better at any martial art you gotta be doing it you have a ton yes. of stuff coming up this weekend you were just talking to us about your schedule and I had to take a water break um, you have Abbar oh, Barbosa. You've got Mr. Ross coming at different locations. We do have uh, Abmar Barbosa coming on Saturday to our Loudon location. We have 
Kevin Ross coming this Saturday and Sunday. He'll be at Alexandria on Saturday, Loudon on Sunday. Uh, we also have some other cool events coming up. We have an in-house jiu-jitsu tournament, Muay Thai Smoker. And these things are actually gotten to be pretty big. It's not just a small, you know, uh, 10 or 15 people at our last in-house tournament, we had about 70 people compete. And at our last in-house smoker, we had about 250 people spectating. So pretty cool. Muay smokers are a blast. They're the best to watch. Oh, they're they're so much fun. (laughs) They're They're so so much fun. fun. You know, it's authentic Muay Thai. And and these guys are good, too. I mean, these local schools are producing some incredible athletes. It's a smoker, but... You don't even know you're watching a smoker. And then the uh, Capital Throwdown, which is our CrossFit event. And uh, we have 80 teams coming to our school from all over. This is April 26th. They're coming from all over D.C., Virginia, and Maryland. And, uh, and again, we have elite competitors who are making CrossFit their career. And they're going to be competing for some big cash prizes. Well, there you go. That sounds fantastic. I, I might genuinely have to come check out one of these smokers. Um, they, they do sound pretty cool. Jeremy, we appreciate you stopping by the podcast so much. If people are looking for you, they can, of course, find you. Just Capital MMA and Elite Fitness. Very accessible via social media and all other forms. Um, we really appreciate you stopping by the podcast tonight. Hey, call me up anytime, guys. And this is only for you, but go Huskies, just for tonight. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. Awesome. Whew. Scott Nelson, Jeremy Lafreniere. What a podcast this was, Raph. Yeah. I even learned some things about WrestleMania, which I didn't think was possible. Well, Um, this was fantastic. I feel like you would learn more if you actually gave it a chance. Well, first of all, maybe, but probably. I mean, here's Um, the secret. When you make it back out here one of these days, I will watch an event with you. We will drink and we'll watch it and you'll see how stupidly fun it is. Perfect. That's a date, sir. That is a date. It's time to break out of this podcast with some shout-outs. Would you like to get us started this evening, Rafa Sparza? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, let's shout out Valley Martial Arts Center. V. M. A. B. Mac. Do you just combine things? <laughs> no, no, no. I was going with like a Captain America theme. Okay. Uh, all the good training partners out over there, and uh, let's see, who should we focus on this week? Um, the, we, they just had the women's open mat, which was a huge success. Uh, Pam, who's our resident awesome judo black belt, who basically gave a judo and uh, BJJ kind of seminar for everybody there. We have a new crash mat, which I don't know if you know this, Kevin. Crash mats and I don't get along. I... Do you know that anytime I've seen you near a crash mat, someone has taken it upon themselves to project you onto it? Yeah. Not I, even because you invited it. Like, sometimes it really sought you out to your defense. Yeah. I don't like the crash mat because it implies doing some form of judo that I don't understand. 
So it's always a matter of, all right, what throw am I not doing right today? But anyway, uh, Pam's always good about helping out with that stuff. She's so great. And, and just from the photos I've seen, it looked like it was a huge success. So credit to them and everybody at VMAC. It's always a good day whenever we get like pictures of our nice facility seen all throughout the community. So props to everybody who came. We hope you enjoyed our facility as much as we do. Uh, and let's say thanks to David O'Rourke for hosting WrestleMania. Uh, him and my buddy Gagne, uh, Chris Gagne, good, good people. Alex Salverson think we had a good time drinking yelling at the tv especially when you know the undertaker lost everybody looked at each other and it was a solemn mm-hmm. okay did, did you happen? cry no i'm incapable of crying as a human robot it doesn't work for me but <clears throat> am i allowed to understand what the emotion sad is yes and i ask people what it's like to feel sad so that was fun uh, <laughs> but that was a good time, and uh, I think that's about it. I think those are my shout-outs for this week. Those are lovely. Mine go out to Juan doing some competing for us over there at BJJ and MMA Academy out in Chantilly, Virginia. Thank you so much for the continued push you always give in training. He's fantastic. He competed a little uh, submission-only good fight tournament this Saturday. Apparently, I had like, matches back-to-back. Andrew was saying he fought for like 14-minute matches, like two of them. Jeez. I was just like, are you fucking kidding? 14 minutes regardless is as much time as you can possibly. That's just a lot. So, yeah. um, Big shout-out to him, the whole crew. No concept jiu-jitsu out there in Maryland, of course. And big thing coming up from uh, – I finally got a little gi review done. Raph, a little spoiler, a little teaser. Um, and Andrew over at BJJ Finder helped me put it together along with Barry Homer doing the photography. And that will be out for people's viewing pleasure here in the next few days. Check it out. Find us at Verbal Tap Cast on Twitter. That's going to do it for me in the shout outs. Of course, thanks to Jeremy. Of course, thanks to Scotty. Um, really great guys. Really great guys in MMA and Jiu Jitsu just all around. That's going to do it for us here tonight at Verbal Tap. I'm Kevin. Thank you for listening. Good night and good fight.